0: Mm-hmm. Ah. Huh. Even though we are extraordinary black men We're still treated by as Negroes in this country You know what I'm saying? We're still treated as second-hand citizens So no matter how great we are We still gotta work harder than everybody else
1: Podcast Junkies episode 141 Let's try this again, take two <laughs> For some reason, the first one didn't work out. I'm recording live from Yonkers, New York. I came here to, number one, visit my parents. It's my father's birthday this week, so it's been a year since I've been back on the East Coast. I'm really excited to be here. I'm recording this in uh, one of the old bedrooms in my parents' house, so it's kind of surreal to be here recording a podcast episode. And uh, the end of next week, I'm attending MapCon in Philadelphia, so please check that out. If you're gonna be there, please let me know. I wanna hang out with you. It's gonna be a smaller conference, not as big as Podcast Movement, which I talked about last week, but definitely more intimate, and I'm really excited. Neil's gonna be there. Uh, it's A whole bunch of cool people are gonna to, going to be going. It's created and organized by Joe Pardo, And Jessica Kupferman, I believe, is going to be there as well, so I'm really excited. Uh, I love the smaller ones because the sense of community is really palpable. And speaking of community, I just debuted the Messenger's documentary here in my parents' house. It was me, my mom, and my dad, and we watched it. It was so fascinating because I got to explain the concept of a podcast to my parents And now they get it, and I tweeted about it, and I mentioned it in the PodFest group, which I'm a part of, and so it was really exciting. I got this warm feeling in my heart as I was watching again, because I've seen it before at PodFest and at Podcast Movement, just this feeling of uh, this community, this family that we're building, and it's so exciting to feel like I'm part of that and that we're growing it and the new people are coming in, and we're just as accommodating to the new people as to the people that have been doing it for 10 years. In case you missed last week's episode, speaking of community and super fans and passion, Quessy Hankins, founder of the Podwabbit Network, is someone that I was connected with via, or thanks to, past fans and, and super supporters of the show, Chris Cerrone and Lacey Ursioli. They hold a meetup in Las Vegas, and Kwesi is part of that meetup. And he just fell in love with the show and he quickly vaulted his way into the top of the super fan category. You know, people like Questy, people like Patrick. I'm just extremely passionate about them and the support and the love that they have for the show. And when you meet them, it's just inevitable that he was going to come on. And so I'm really happy that we had him on and he talked at length about how he started, why he's podcasting, why a network, all the different variety of shows that he has on there, which is really fascinating. So, this week we speak to Jay Connor. It's so interesting the way you meet people related to the podcast. I went to go speak at WeWork. And if you're not familiar with WeWork, it's a co working space. There's uh, one in Los Angeles, there's a couple in Los Angeles, and I went to speak at one of them. And it was a great conversation. I talked about how I started podcasting. They have a a lunch session uh, where they let you speak for about uh, 45 minutes. And at the end of it, Jay came over. And he talked about how he had his own show, The Extraordinary Negroes, which is a fantastic name for a podcast. And we sort of hit it off and we talked, uh, we went downstairs and we were just chatting it up for, you know, probably about an hour afterwards. And I just realized, wow, this is the way, you know, this is what happens in the podcasting community when you meet people who are like simpatico. And I just immediately knew, I mean, I literally had just met the guy like an hour or two hours ago and I'm like, you're coming on the podcast. And it wasn't. More than a week later, where we did our session, and we just we just had a blast. we just picked up where we left off and then we saw each other at podcast movement and it's so funny how fast you can make connections when you can feel that people are genuine. So we covered so much like we talked about this idea of binging on hip hop documentaries because we're, you know we're both fans of hip hop. He talks about the event that led the way to his podcast blowing up. He talks about one of the things he's looking to do in the future with his podcast. We talk about where he grew up, culture shock. He was in the military, which is crazy. Um, We go deep on some topics that this idea of war being such a traumatic experience. Uh, we talk about something as as diverse a topic as uh, transphobia and how divisive it is. And then we talk about the responsib- this r- responsibility that comes along with having a podcast. That and so much more was covered. And it's a really fascinating conversation that just weaves its way in and out in terms of uh, emotional contact, uh, content. And it is definitely getting the big stamp of explicit rating because, you know, there's, there's conversations I tend to have where I'm just like, okay, we're just free flowing, you know, top of the dome type stuff where like you speak your mind and, and, and I'll just let you talk like, in, 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 the, in the mode that you feel most comfortable, because I really want guests to really feel comfortable when they're on the show. So great conversation. I can't wait for you to hear it. Um, speaking of supporters of the show, Podbean, as always, dy- dynamic, bang-up job. I, I love partnering with them because I'm getting to know the, them and the community on a, on a, on a better uh, level. I, when I was at Podcast Movement, I spoke to Shannon, from uh, Podbean, I spoke to Jennifer, I spoke to Vernon, my boy Vernon, who's been on the show as well, and we just hit it off, and what's funny is I, I, they have a podcast uh, called Podcasting Smarter, and at, at the end of Podcast Movement, they recorded a special episode of that, so there's a bit of background noise in there, but it's fun to hear their enthusiasm for Podcast Movement. They talked a little bit about the dynamic ad insertion that I mentioned last week, so they, they provide more details about that in that episode of Podcasting Smarter, but they're just really high on the conferences and the value they got out of them and all the cool people that they met at the people that came up to their booth so don't forget please support them podbean.com slash podcast junkies to sign up and as always if you do sign up with the link please let me know i'd love to jump on the phone with you for about half an hour and just jam with you and feel uh and see what you're doing about your podcast and see how i can help don't forget full show notes for this episode are available at podcastjunkies.com and wow slash 141 can't forget that and stay till the end of the episode super super fans do that normally like literally they get up in the morning they brush their teeth they like rinse their mouth with mouth with mouth mouthwash (laughs) mouthwash they have their breakfast they go to work they listen to their episodes their favorite podcast episodes, podcast junkies is part of that list. And then they listen to the whole episode to the end and they listen to what's called a retention hashtag. And that's the key, the super secret key. Like in Indiana Jones, you know, where he goes to the tunnel and the rocks and the rocks are chasing him and there's that little bag of gold at the end. That's like what a retention hashtag is. So when you get it, you tweet about it. And I'm like, oh, I see. You got the gold. So you want to be the people that get the gold. You want to be the people that get the retention hashtag. And the way to do that is listen to the whole episode. And then tweet about it. All the cool kids are doing it. Enough about that. Enjoy my amazing episode with Mr. Jay Connor. So, Jay Connor, thank you for joining me on Podcast Junkies. Thank you for having me, sir. We've known each other all of about uh, a week. <laughs> <laughs> seven days. Seven days in.
0: We go. We go all the way back yeah, we to go like where- Tuesday. <laughs>
1: It's so crazy. Uh, so for the listener's benefit, I always like telling the backstory. I went to WeWork, which is a co-working space, which I think is all over the country. And Jay was hanging out in uh, the lunch, Food for Thought, it's called. Uh, promo I was given, I was talking about podcasting, and he came up to me after and uh, got to chatting about all things podcasting. And uh, I was like, this is a cool cat, so we're going to get him on the show, and we're going to yes. see and see what happens
0: now we're bff so you
1: know
0: (laughs) it's like it all came full circle right
1: well i think you i mean how is your how's your bullshit meter like can you tell i mean I'm, i'm pretty good nowadays as i get older you know like i can tell pretty quickly if i can vibe with someone and if they're cool people um and if i'm gonna have like a i feel like i'm gonna have like a friendship or just a start start a friendship with them
0: yeah, yeah. I think I think um being in the entertainment industry, you have to have a bullshit meter. But at the same time, like the way that the entertainment industry works is that like sometimes you have to ignore it because you're trying to parlay a relationship into something more fruitful, and I mean, I think that works on both ends with a lot of people. So my bullshit meter definitely uh is intact, but sometimes I feel like damn, I have to put up with this person because it'll <laughs> it'll help us both out in the end. But thankfully I don't feel that way about you. That's you know what right. I'm saying? So
1: At least not yet. Not i was about years. to say
0: that can change on the 8th day. <laughs> <laughs> but so far we're we're rocking, man. So far we're rocking. We we even supposed to hit up the concert last night. Yeah. That's some shit you don't do with people that's uh that, that that set off your bullshit meter. So we're we're good. We're we're A1 so far.
1: Yeah, all, all my East Coast uh peeps are, are back in the East Coast and I was like, you know, that's one of those shows uh so it's KRS-One and Slick Rick, The Ruler. Is the is the ruler in parentheses or is... the ruler?
0: <laughs> no, I think it's all just like one name. You know what I mean? But like pro- Busta Rhymes, yeah, like last name or something like that. The ruler, like maybe it's on his uh driver's license or something like that.
1: <laughs> last name, the ruler. The ruler. No props to that man. I mean, this—he's like fifty-two and still holding it down. <laughs> and I was like, damn, that's good, man. This. Well, what he was saying is like, um, it's interesting because he was saying. You know, hip hop and MC and MCing, there's, there shouldn't be an age limit on that because now it's like old school, new school and like new cats are coming up and they're like, oh, like this is the new sound. He's like, I can still rap like he's like, oh, I could still be doing this, you know, until like my 80s. He's like, we're like the Rembrandts. He was saying like the Rembrandts and the Picassos. And I was like, oh, that's true. You know, if you still got your voice, you can still rock it.
0: I agree to an extent just because I mean I definitely think there shouldn't be an age cap on like hip hop but at the same time hip hop is inherently immature as far as like the subject matter you know mm-hmm. what I mean like they the shit that they talk about nobody wants to talk about uh being like 45 and like being in the club and like popping yeah. bottles and like what you were doing when you were 17. Like you look crazy. So I mean, if you can age gracefully and still like kinda like common, you know what I mean? Like if you can age grace yeah. gracefully with your subject matter, that's cool. But like, you know, Jay-Z being lauded for suddenly making a mature album at forty seven is fucking ridiculous. It's like <laughs> it's like I said on my podcast, like women don't get the luxury of maturing gracefully well into their forties. Like that's yeah. that's that's something that men can do and women can't get away with. So um yeah, I mean, I'm, but I mean, I think like a rapper like KRS1, like he's just on some like MC, MC. He doesn't really talk about shit. So it's not like yeah. the subject matter itself, he raps about rapping. So it's not like the subject matter itself is necessarily like immature. But I think generally speaking, we're, we're in an age in which hip hop is really maturing for the first time because it's, you know, it's such a young, it's such a young, uh, you know, uh, genre. So I think it's interesting to kind of see like Jay Z being the first relevant forty plus year old rapper, and kind of seeing what happens with that. But I'm with I'm with these old heads still, you know, getting money, but you know they got to make relevant music yeah. to to their to their age demographic.
1: So Fifty Cent releasing Go Shorty, it's your retirement party. We're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna party like it's your retirement party.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, like Fifty's another guy. It's just it's just like.
1: When you when you came
0: out talking crazy and busting guns and, and bulletproof vests and shit, it was like, oh, that's cool. Like, we look at you, we think that's cool, but it's like, now you're like 40 plus and you're yeah. still on the same shit and you're making like TV shows and you're like a mogul and you're selling. And it's like, yeah. we know this isn't who you are anymore. Why can't you just age with your music, you know what I'm saying? Like make more mature music. You can still like have that same personality, but it's like we know you're not shooting nobody. We know you're not about that <laughs> life no more. Like it's it's a rap. So, um yeah. What's
1: well, yeah. I'm I, for some reason I'm on a like uh hip hop uh documentary binge cuz I was watching Straight Outta Compton and then I was watching the Hip Hop Evolution on Netflix and then yeah. I and then I got um what says what's his name? Uh Reggie Osay's. Mogul podcast, which is amazing. Set out combat jack, yeah, combat jack, and it was just like crazy because they were all. Now I don't know where I heard it, but it was like the story about Fifty Cent with the vitamin water was yeah was so crazy. He made like millions of dollars on on that thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's 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 crazy. Yeah, have you seen the um oh damn the Stretch and uh documentary? No, not yet. Oh my god, that's one of the best documentaries you will see in life. If you're looking for some East Coast hip hop shit as far as like a documentary goes that's it right there i went to the screening last year and it was just like nori and talib kwali and all these other people showed up and like you know how like when they have the q a with the audience like they bum brushed the microphone and we're fucking with them it was it was it was dope shit but yes
1: is it on netflix
0: i think so i mean i know it was on like i know for a minute they were it was on like all these random things but i think it's on netflix now yeah
1: do you remember like when you got the podcasting book
0: Yeah, actually, uh, I would say it was probably about like last early, early last year, 2016. Um, What had happened was I I was just listening like everybody else is is kind of as a fan. And um, in trying to for those listening at home, I'm also a writer. And in trying to navigate through my writing career, I was thinking to myself, you know, I was just getting frustrated because there's gatekeepers in in the entertainment industry, specifically being a writer. Like they feel like if you want to write for a TV show. You got to pay your dues. First, you got to be a PA. Then you got to be a writer's assistant. Then we might staff you. And I'm just like, yo, if I if I can write better than all 'all y'all asses, like, why do I have to pay my dues? Like, it's just dumb. You know what I mean? Like, it just really doesn't make sense to me. And it never made sense to me. And I thought after um, being a writer's assistant on, well, actually, no, I became a writer's assistant for this show once the podcast started. But yeah, after, you know, trying to navigate through this, this space, I thought, like, What can I do for myself to kind of leapfrog everybody else? And I thought if I created a a podcast and it blew up, I will be able to have the opportunity to create the opportunities that I want for myself because I'll become so popular. I'll become a name. People will want anything that I'm writing. So I thought, okay, that's the easiest way to just skip the line. And then like a little bit after I started it, one of the reasons why I hold Combat Jack in such reverence is because. He's a direct influence on me starting my show. Yeah. Um him, the two biggest influences I had on my show were Combat Jack and uh Fambros, as far as like understanding like the format of creating a show. Cause I always wanted to do something that was that kind of like simulated like a, a morning radio show, something with like segments as far, as opposed to just like, you know, two people talking. So um those are the two shows that really just resonated with me and I was just big fans of them, and I kind of modeled. Um, my show after those as far as just picking up on how to create segments and just kind of do it my way so after i started the show i actually started writing on a tv show strange angel which actually just got picked up over at cbs so it'll nice. be coming out next it'll be coming out next year and
1: Suzanne, so is, um, is that working in the writer's room
0: yeah that was in the writer's room is that, your so first, is that
1: your first writer's room
0: that was my first writer's room Sweet. and the thing that was crazy about it is that like the podcast Immediately took off like our first, you know, you you have so much stress and like creating it and and all these things and immediately blew up. Like our first episode had like six thousand listens. Wow! And um, I was like, holy shit! Like I did because I mean, you're always nervous when you first start something. because You're like, nobody's gonna hear this. But you know what I mean? But um, myself and my co-host Alex Hardy are lucky that we kind of had names within the writer space before we started our show. We had connections. We knew people. So we had the luxury of bringing on our homeboys, uh, very smart brothers, um, Panama Jackson and Damon Young for our first episode. So people were obviously interested in being like, oh, shit, we want to hear what the four of them got to say when they get together. And just from there, just like it just blew up. It just took off from there. But in starting the writer's room, then I had this dilemma of, "Okay, now that I'm committed to a show that's occupying 60 hours of my time, Mm. how do I balance this show? Because, as you know, a podcast is a full time job. Yeah. So, how do I balance this show with running a podcast and like during the show, I was getting out of there at six, getting home by and leaving Culver City fighting through that traffic. I would literally walk in the door and we'd start recording and yeah. then sometimes there'd be and then sometimes it'd be nice where I was like sneaking editing like you know that night or even like in the writer's room, you know what I mean like editing episodes whenever I had like a like a a second like during lunch or something like that, you know what I mean. Just threw the headphones on, and while everybody was eating, I was just trying to trying to put it out. So yeah, I just really committed myself to it. I I told myself I will go balls out for a year, see where it goes. And um, in the in the first year, we got invited out to South by Southwest, which is crazy. We got um a, a shout out in New York in the New York Times. Hmm. We got a shout out with Bitch Media, wrote about us being one of the best, you know feminist approved podcast, which is really cool. That's cool. And um yeah, just, you know, other places are reaching out and, you know, Alex and I have done some other events and we had our uh we we hosted a watch party in D C and they had like two hundred people show up for that. Um we had the luxury of partnering being a part of um a podcast meetup in New York and like a bunch of people showed up for that. So I mean it's just like crazy to just to see how far we've come in a year. So
1: So for the benefit of the listener, the show, is called The Extraordinary Negroes. Who came up with the name?
0: Um, I did, actually. One of the things that I wanted to do in creating the show is there's just – the market is so saturated. So I said two things that I'm going to need to stand out is I'm going to need – well, three. One, I'm going to need to have a dope-ass name that's immediately going to get people's attention. Two, I'm going to need to have some dope-ass cover art that's going to get people's attention. And three, I'm going to have to have a great show – that backs up the other two because it's like okay if i like the name and i like the cover art the show better be good and thankfully people feel that it is so um the meaning behind the name you know i was kind of bouncing around some ideas for a minute and the meaning behind the name is that like even though you know people see the name and they automatically think there's some kind of certain connotation and there is but even though we are extraordinary black men. We're still treated by, as Negroes in this country. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? We're still treated as second, secondhand citizens. So no matter how great we are, we still got to work harder than everybody else. You know what I'm saying? We still got to um, bust our ass to be treated as equals. And it's kind of like, you know, a, a double meaning behind that. And um, it's definitely something that, you know, we both identify with and, and, and resonates with our audience. And I mean, we just try to use our platform to shed light to issues within our community to give other people voices that don't have voices as far as other writers, as far as other, you know, human, you know, people that are doing dope shit in their community. Um, and we really just try to be a beacon of light just because we have the, we're fortunate enough in that we have a platform that people pay attention to. Mm -hmm. I just had this conversation this weekend with our editor in chief of our website. And I was like, it's crazy because we're entering this space where we're becoming tastemakers as far as like people like emailing us and, inboxing us and saying, Hey, this is something that is going on. I would love if you guys could you know, draw attention to this or what do you guys think about this? Or like people are actively looking for our cosign. Hmm. And um it's interesting to kind of segue from being a fucking nobody and being ignored all my damn life to people suddenly giving them shit about my opinion. So um it's pretty cool. It's an interesting transition and we're just continuing to grow and evolve and I'm looking to expand upon the team and just um Make some more magic, and I, I got
1: uh, I, I got the sense from the title that it was you, that the title was reflective of, of you of the guests you were highlighting more so than it was about the hosts.
0: I think it's kind of all all encompassing. I mean, I think that obviously we are the extraordinary Negroes because that's just obviously. like our <laughs> name. But I mean, I think it's kind of all encompassing. One of the things that I'm definitely looking to do in the future is, as much as we love to advertise ourselves as being or promote ourselves as being unapologetically black i definitely i think that in doing that we've actually kind of deterred people from other ethnicities from participating on the show not listening but as far as participating and coming on as guests because they Mm -hmm. feel like oh you have to be black and it's like well no you don't we're the extraordinary negroes you know what i'm saying we just want to talk about things from our perspective so i think one of the things that i definitely want to um we're on a little bit of a break right now finally after a year i'm taking a breather one of the things that i'm looking to do in the future is kind of make it a little bit more inclusive as far as our guests go
1: so do you think that i mean a lot of people have this argument all the time like you know the fact that you're creating this environment there's a safe space right safe space for your community to to talk just openly about shit that is really bothering you and some of it may be hot button topics but it's just like when you're in that space and you're all talking about the same topic then you feel like okay our guard is down. We don't have to worry about being politically correct. And we can just say, like, what is really bothering us or, or you know, what's getting under our skin? And I think a lot of people get freaked out because they're just like, well, why aren't you making it more inclusive? And I'm like, well, there's plenty of places for, like, other people to go and, and like, Caucasians or whatever you want to call them or Spanish people, you know, they have their channels. And so the fact that you have a channel that's specifically just for your tribe, I, I think there's really nothing wrong with that because I think that's the only place where you can have that environment where you feel safe. In terms of yeah. and the people that you bring in, right, your guests come in and they're like and they know that, you know, you're going to be they're going to be treated well by you guys.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that one of the things that people love to do is they like to play the well, if we had and it's like, well, you do have, you know <laughs> what I'm saying? Like podcasts such as mine were created out of necessity. That's yeah. literally the only reason things like these were built and created, because we felt like our stories, our voices, our experiences weren't being represented. So, I mean, for people to come in and be a guest, that's fine. But at the same time, it's like when people play the, well, if we had card, it's just it's just fucking stupid. Because yeah, I mean, yeah. look, look at the television. You know what I mean? How many shows are just pure white people? I yeah. mean, Game of Thrones is one of the most popular shows out there. Good luck finding a black person on that shit. You I was know what thinking I'm about
1: that the other day. I was like, well, there no, like, what, why couldn't? Yeah, I don't know.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, it's just like, you know, a lot of these spaces for people of color, regardless of their ethnicity, have been. Created out of necessity. And if people would understand that, they would be more receptive. And if anything, they can use these as opportunities to learn. You know what I'm saying? That's yeah. why I invite people of other ethnicities to to partake and enjoy our show and participate in our social media. Because, I mean, we get a lot of traffic on our social media pages with people, you know, having conversations based upon the content that we disseminate. And sometimes, you know, white people feel like, I don't know if I'm welcome here. And it's like, it's not a matter of you being welcome. It's a matter of this is our home. This is our space. And if you want to participate, just remember you're a tourist. You know what I'm saying? Use this as an opportunity to learn. And if you don't want to use this as an opportunity to learn, well, then you have no place here. Otherwise, you know what I'm saying? You're more than welcome to be here. And we definitely make it a point to talk about issues that would be, quote unquote, controversial because, as a black man in America, I don't have the opportunity of averting controversial issues. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like every time I wake up and, and turn on the TV and look at, you know, how I'm being presented or the things that um, people of color experience, um, it's a bunch of BS. So we, we talk about it in order to process what's going on and we, and this is how we heal. So mm. I just like to use my show as kind of like a solve, you know what I'm saying? Like a healing bomb for my community.
1: When Do you remember when you started taking an interest in writing? Because you definitely, you know, you have a way with words, and I love your uh, your Twitter handle, Death to Adverbs. <laughs>
0: yes. Yeah, my, my Twitter handle and my email. Yeah, definitely writing related. I, as far as I can remember, I've always been kind of passionate about writing. I, I mean, I remember even being in, like, high school and writing, like, I want to say novels, but they definitely weren't novels. But, you know, writing long, fictitious tales. Uh, in my notebooks, you know, I'm just straight, just just freehand or excuse me, as word processors came into play, you know, just just hacking away on a, you know, on my mom's typewriter whenever she was asleep or, you know, going to stand after school to write on the computer. So, I mean, I think writing is just and storytelling is always something that I've always been passionate about. I've always been one of the artsy fartsy kids. I've always had like this weird dichotomy of being the kid that was like too cool for the nerds and too nerdy for the cool people. Yeah. Cuz I've always been like into like drawing. I used to draw all the time. I've always been into music. I make music. I've always been into writing, so I've always been drawn to the arts as as long as I can remember. So, it's just kind of who I am. Where uh where did you grow up? Well, I started in <laughs> I was born originally in New York, uh in the Bronx. Okay. And um we left there um I think I was about like eight, nine. Whenever we bounced from there, and then we relocated to uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. A little bit of a culture shock. A little bit. Um, to make sure that you know, uh, our, uh, my parents' heathen child, me, wasn't you know getting in any shit. And I consider Tulsa home because that's where I grew up. You know what I mean? As far as being in the middle of nowhere and being in you know the country and growing up in you know the that rural environment. um, yeah, Tulsa was definitely home, and then whenever I was 19, I left for the Air Force and moved to Arizona in Tucson, and then after I got out the Air Force, I moved to Phoenix in 2003, and then I stayed in Phoenix until 2014 when I moved out here, so I've been kind of all over the map. Started on the East Coast, worked my way to the West Coast.
1: That's crazy. I mean, the, the differences in culture in and of itself must have been a bit of a shock, and I'm wondering, do you remember, like, the first moment that you can, like, think of where you realized, like, there is a difference in cultures? And it, and it might have been the minute you moved, but I'm, I'm wondering if, if you can think of a memory like that.
0: Honestly, I think the biggest culture shock I experienced was when I joined the military. In part because that was the first time, like, I had to function as an adult. Mm-hmm. As a child, um, obviously, you know, moving from the concrete jungle to like clan country was a bit of a little bit jarring, but it was definitely whenever I became an adult and I left from Tulsa to Phoenix because Phoenix was like the first time I really felt like I lived in a major city. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was so young in New York. It was just kind of it was what it was. But like being like an adult and living in Phoenix and like dealing with like five lane highways and. You know, having to find apartments and, and traffic and, like, bills and shit. Like, it was, like, the first time I really felt like an adult. And I think that was, like, the biggest culture shock I ever experienced. Um, the transition to L.A. was pretty smooth, uh, in part because I wanted to get the hell out of Phoenix. But, yeah, I would definitely say my transition from um, Tulsa to Phoenix was the biggest one.
1: What was the Air Force like? <laughs>
0: the Air Force? Man. And why? And why that branch over all the others? Um, par- primarily because I didn't want to get shot. I mean, the, <laughs> the biggest thing with the, um, with the air force is what happened is I was a shitty student in school and not because I didn't, not because I wasn't smart. If anything, I was too smart. And my teachers were telling my, my parents like, yo, put him in like advanced classes. Cause he's not doing shit. And for whatever reason, my parents were terrible and they didn't. So I just fucked off high school entirely. Um, and Senior year, I'm all looking at my friends and I'm like, yo, we're not going to go to, you know, screw college. We're not doing that. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, we, we're, we're rebels. We're going to make it work. We're going to just have high school diplomas. And all my friends are like, hell yeah, dude. And then they graduated and they all dipped for, for <laughs> college. I was like, oh, man, y'all are y'all are foul as hell. What, but, happened, what um, happened
1: to the master plan there?
0: Right. So they left me behind and I got a job at Walgreens in the photo lab. And I thought I was the man until I realized I didn't have a car. I'm still living with my parents. I'm getting no women and I'm working like 40, you know, a full full full-time job and I ain't got no money. And I'm like, yo, I'm going to end up being that lame dude. That's like 50 and working at McDonald's. And I was like, I got to do something. And I think that's kind of been like my unofficial mantra in life is like, how do I leapfrog everybody else? Mm. So then I thought, Okay, if everybody else is going to school, what can I do so that four years from now, instead of going to school, I can be way farther ahead of everybody else? And my mom kind of pitched, like, going into the military. And I was like, the fuck? I was like, hell no, I get shot? Nah, player. no." Nah. <laughs> She's like, well, no, it depends on the branch and all this other stuff. And um, so they talked. They pulled me in. I went to the recruiter's office, chopped it up with them. I like what the Air Force was talking about. And they were like, you know, based upon your... Um, your score you can get whatever job you want and i'm like okay cool because i'm not about to be out there like shooting people because that's just not my thing you know what i'm saying yeah and um if you score low enough your ass gonna be out there shooting people
1: but (laughs) i scored like stay in school kids
0: (laughs) seriously stay stay ass in school get you a good get you a good job and so i killed it on the test i scored like crazy high and i scored so high they thought i cheated so apparently, black smarts don't matter. So they were like, uh, "Yo, you gotta take this thing again because you cheated." And I'm like, "What the fuck?" So yeah, it was the um, the ASVAB. So I took it again, and then the second time I scored even higher. Oh shit, that's awesome. So I was like, "What's up?" They're they're like, "You can basically have any job you want. Like you you're, you're a rock star." So I decided I want to be a computer network administrator. I want to get straight to the money. So. Mm. I did that while I was in and unfortunately they made my ass go to war after 9-11 popped off so I was doing so good dodging you know having to do the whole like you know craziness out there but unfortunately I experienced war not fun at all but yeah yeah, I did I did I was a computer guy in in the military and um I decided um when it was time to get out um I had like Pentagon and General Dynamics and Raytheon and all these companies throwing me like these crazy-ass jobs that started like with six-figure jobs, like high, 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 high six-figure jobs. So Mm -hmm. they were like, you can do this on the outside and get paid, but after going to war and dealing with all that stress and because I had like a TSSCI security clearance, which is like stupid high. Yeah. And uh, what they do is it's cheaper for them, even if you don't know how to use a computer, it's cheaper for them to hire somebody that has that clearance because that clearance is like $80,000 to $100,000. It's cheaper for them to hire somebody that has that clearance than it is for them to hire you and teach you how to do the job and pay for that clearance. You know what I'm saying? So they're just – so the fact that I had that clearance and I actually knew how to do the job, they were like, oh – (laughs) <laughs> they were like, yo, take take our money and I was just like, No, nah, I'm not doing this. So let me money. let me
1: jump in there for a second because most people would probably take the job.
0: It so, was some good ass money.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. Sure. Especially should especially after the the, the Walgreens photo <laughs> experience.
0: <laughs> yes. And the pennies they were I was probably making even less in the military than I was at Walgreens. So
1: yeah, it was definitely uh So what is it about you or the way you were raised that made you think twice when it came time to make that decision?
0: Um, Honestly, war is just such a traumatic experience. That's not something that like human beings are created to experience. Like something like that is, it's kind of like why a lot of times I get irritated when people ask, when, when, when people ask me or people ask other veterans, like, yo, what was war like? And it's like, War is a traumatic, like, p- seeing people die, having a fight mm. for your life. I mean, like, I have, like, a big-ass scar on my neck right now from my whole experience. That's, like, six inches. And it's just, like, these are, these are not things that people want to, like, talk about. Mm. You wouldn't, You wouldn't walk up to a rape victim and say, hey, tell me about your rape. So I don't really understand why people feel comfortable. And I get that there's, like, a curiosity people have about war because it's something they haven't experienced. But, I yeah. mean, people need to be more considerate when um, having these conversations because it's it's traumatic. Nobody wants to talk about a traumatic experience. If we forfeit that information, that's one thing, but... Um, yeah, PTSD is real, right? No joke, but yeah, um, what made me decide to pass was that I was just not feeling the whole military thing and I was just like, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing other... I've already did four years of this shit. I'm not doing any more of this, so my dumb ass... I was like, I'd much rather do something more impactful in my immediate community than the world. And, um, I decided to be a social worker and instead of making, you know, $250,000 a year, I was making 25,000 a year. Lopped off a zero there. Yeah. And it's just like people, and it was very hard to get into because they didn't believe that I wanted to do it. They looked at my resume and they were like, Clearly, you're having a rough job. Just you're, you're having a rough time just trying to find a job. Yeah. There's no way we're going to hire you because you're not going to stay here. Once you get what you want, you're out. You know what I mean? And I was like, no, this is what I genuinely want to do. And they're just like, yeah, right. Why would you, like you said, chop off a zero in your income when you could be making like bank? Yeah. And meanwhile, I'm having like, and what made it extra stressful is like this whole time I'm having like recruiters from, like I said, like Raytheon, General Dynamics, like blowing up my phone, sending me emails. I mean, to this day. I've been in the military in fourteen years, and to this day, I have people emailing me, offering me jobs, calling me up all the time, trying to get me to do that computer stuff because they know that once you have that clearance, you're you're in. It's kind of like a, like yeah. an alumni. You know what is I'm that, saying? Does that,
1: like, that never never goes away?
0: No, it expires, but I think it's just cheaper to renew it. Wow. Than it is to just get a whole new one or whatever. I don't know. I don't care. I'm never gonna get it renewed. But um, yeah, they to this day they still blow me up, which is insane. So um.
1: Yeah, you, you have an opinion yeah. on Snowden?
0: Uh, <laughs> he might be a necessary evil, man. Yeah, he might be a necessary evil. I mean, I don't really, I didn't pay t- too much attention to to all the particulars of it, just because I'm such an information sponge. I'm constantly paying attention to everything, and I don't always get to pay attention to the to fine fine details of certain things. But um, from what I remember, or what I you know recall, uh, it, it's, yeah, that whole NSA thing, man. Enemy,
1: uh, enemy of the state, man. That movie.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's crazy. It's crazy. But I mean, military in general. If I could do it again, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have gone in the military, especially being a black man and to fight for your country. And I came home and people were spitting on me and like treating me like I wasn't shit. And I'm like, I just spent, <laughs> I just spent yeah, nine months mess. in the damn desert, and I come back and y'all are spitting on me. I'm like, yo, y'all are bugging. So I mean, between that and just understanding as an adult or as a more mature adult that like the military is an extension of col- colonialism it's just like not something that i would feel comfortable doing uh if i could do it again i'm grateful for the benefits i earned but i i, I, I wouldn't do it again
1: well i mean I, I i just have to feel like that whole arc that you just painted really colors like what you bring to the show you know on a regular basis i mean this is like how can it not, right? Like, and you just have these perspectives yeah. and it's like this voice that that needs to get out. And it's, there's, I don't know how many people have that, the the collection of experiences that you have, <laughs> you know, to bring these different yeah. perspectives, you know, and, and, and now that you have a platform, it's like, okay, like everything, like if you feel like destiny or something like that, like everything, all moments were leading to this, right?
0: Yeah, and it's kind of interesting too, because it's like in having a podcast, which you have one, It's like you have all these experiences and part of you feels like these are stories I want to tell. But the way my show is crafted, much like yours, it's not about me. It's about other people's stories. Mm -hmm. So I get to use the experiences that I've accrued and the perspective that I've kind of forged to kind of inform people on, you know, uh, uh, you know, different cultures and different events and things that are going on in our world. And using our guests as kind of like a conduit to speak about certain things. Like on our most recent episode, we spoke with a gentleman by the name of uh, Marlon Peterson, who, you know, has been an essence and Cassius life and did a TED talk and all these things. And his his mission is centered around um, criminal justice and uh, mass incarceration and, you know, 13th Amendment and all these things that, you know, disproportionate jail sentences and things like that. And these are things that obviously concern me, but I would lie. I would be lying if I said I was informed on these things. You know what I mean? And that's part of the beauty of the show is that like I can have informed decisions with people that are experts in these fields, but at the same time have a conversation where I can learn and then they can serve as a conduit to not only educate me, but educate other people. So it's pretty dope.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we underestimate the power of it. And I think in the beginning we think like we don't I don't know a lot about that topic, but to your point, if you bring in the experts and you come in with the natural curiosity and be like, I just want to learn more and I'm gonna I'm gonna put myself in the listener's shoes and ask the sort of questions that I think if they were here they'd be asking that yeah. I think that's when you're providing a, a service exactly to your audience.
0: And one of the things that I I also make a point of doing is trying to incorporate as many um black women as possible just because We're at a stage where a lot of black women feel like they're not being heard and they're not being respected and they're not being appreciated within my community. So I always make it a point to try to get as many black women guests on there as possible to speak to as many black women issues as possible, because with us being two male hosts, it's important that women feel like men are actually paying attention to your issues. You know what I'm saying? Because there's a million Fucking shows out there with men hosts, and then they just want to have their homeboys on and have like the. And that's cool if that's Mm -hmm. what you want to do, that's fine. But we need to have more dialogues in which we're talking about toxic masculinity, in which we're talking about patriarchy and dismantling it, in which we're, you know, being um giving women a platform to speak and one of the and one of the episodes that I definitely that I've been brainstorming on for about like 5 6 months now is doing an episode on like realistically what would it look like to dismantle patriarchy like what can we do as men to do this and initially I wanted to invite like two women on to have it but I was like that's not their job it's not a mm-hmm. women's job to dismantle something that they didn't build nor did they nor are they active proponents of or supporters of, you know what I'm saying? If, if men are benefiting and have created and forged patriarchy, it's our job to dismantle it. So instead of having women on, I might have one, it's just kind of like, you know, to get that female opinion, but primarily I want to talk to other men, like men, what do we need to do to address these things? What do we need to do to resolve these? What do we need to do to rectify and and heal our communities in regards to the male women dynamic?
1: Yeah, but you got to have some Progressive brothers on there who are open to talk oh, about yes. these topics and not afraid of like wearing their heart on their sleeve and I, and I know there's a kind of renaissance of that kind of man happening now and just I mean I call it like heart centered and just speaking you know uh, your your truth in terms of what you feel without feeling like you're going to be embarrassed or your boys are going to call you out or some shit like that you know and, and yeah. to have people like who are willing to to do that and and I, I imagine there's more and more. You're finding more and more um, people like that. But I'm wondering if in the beginning it, you felt like it was harder to get people like that?
0: I don't think it's ever been hard to find people like that. But I think if anything, though, I I definitely noticed that people feel kind of empowered and grateful for the platform that we've created and that they feel other people feel like they've been empowered to speak because we said something. You know what I mean? Like there's always got to be somebody mm-hmm. to kind of kick the door open. And, yeah. and I'm not the first person. Excuse me, but but for the people behind me, I'm the first person for them. You know what I'm saying? And um, you know, we definitely see it in other shows. We definitely hear it from our fans and our social media. Like I said, we got like forty three thousand followers. So it's crazy to kind of hear them be like, Oh man, we appreciate that. These are conversations we need to be having. So it's dope to just, you know, um, prioritize things of this manner you know let's let's have the uncomfortable conversations let's move past our discomfort because we can't sit there and direct all this energy towards well we can't create these expectations when it comes to challenging and combating racism and well you know white people need to move past white fragility and their discomfort in order to address these things When we're not willing to do the same thing in regards to other issues you know what i'm saying whether it's cultural appropriation uh whether it's you know uh patriarchy and things of that nature you know what i'm saying like i have to as a man i have to move past my discomfort and address these things mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's not always the burden and the onus doesn't always fall on a woman to rectify these mistakes it's not fair you know what i'm saying if i punch you in the face it's not your job to to, to fix and find out why i punched you in the face you know what i'm saying it's my job to be like whoa that was fucked up why did i do that you know what i'm saying yeah and that's that's what it is. So, I mean, if we're going to and I mean, that goes for, you know, the the, um you know, LGBTQ community as well. You know what I mean? Like we have a lot of uh, divisiveness, especially right now with, you know, the transphobia thing being a, a major issue right now within the black community. And it's just like, yo, if we're not willing to we can't have we we, we can't you can't be pro black or you can't be pro anything if it's exclusive to anything within that arena. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I can't say like. I'm for unity and all this other thing, but I don't fuck with gay people. Like that makes no sense. Or black women stay in their place. Or they're to fucking on with y'all. Like that, that makes that makes no sense whatsoever. So it's like if we're gonna ride, we're gonna ride and we need to work through these issues together and do whatever we need to do to move past our discomfort and you know heal heal as a community.
1: Well, I mean, if any community can relate to this idea of being like pushed to the side and, and and not treated with respect like it's the black community obviously with all the the history of what's going on in this country so you know the fact that they there's people that can't see that what has been done to them is exactly what you're doing to this other you know sub genre of a, of a community it it does boggle my mind because they they seem to be able to compartmentalize like oh you know I can you know support the black community but yeah gays like I you know they make me uncomfortable or something like that man. it's crazy
0: Well, it's kind of like a crab in a barrel mentality in that it's like, I'm fucked up, but at least I'm not you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I can feel better knowing that my shit might be like, I might be in a bad way, but at least it's not as bad as yours is. You know what I mean? So, and people got to move past that because it's like, yo, we got to, we got to all ride together.
1: Yeah. I think what's happening now, it's very interesting because like millennials and stuff, like they, they're, they're growing up in a, in a world where like, gay parents are normal and just like and so when people are against that they look strange like why you really think that like you're you know you think like it's weird to be gay or uh or or transgender and all these tv shows are just putting it into the front and they're making a lot of people squirm because they're like they're not having anywhere to hide and and the latest presidency is is bringing out the craziest batshit people in the world because you're just like oh like oh those people are still in this country and like i think we forgot for a second, yeah. but they were still there. And I think we needed one more round of like a, a crazy president to kind of like just, you know, like a get, people. yeah, just get these people out and exposed because it's there's some just scary shit like in terms of what people think that's still out there.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I mean we got a president that just said like, you know, trans trans uh transgender people should not be in the military. Yeah. Listen. As somebody who's been to war, I don't give a fuck. As long as you know how to bust a gun and keep my ass alive, I don't give a shit. But at the same time, though, it's foul and discriminatory to sit there and say who can and can't defend our basic human rights. You know what I'm saying? Because I mean, that's one of the things that really bugged me about being in the military was that when they had the gay ban, it was like me and you go to war. But when I come home, my wife is good as far as health benefits. But your husband isn't. That makes no fucking sense. We just yeah. we just we just literally fought the same war, <laughs> but you don't get benefits, but I do. That makes that makes absolute no sense. It's and pleasant. then you know, years ago, my ass wouldn't even get anything. So it's just like, yeah. yo, it's just it's just bananas. But I mean, kind of to your point, you know, people talk about like the gay agenda and all this other stuff, and it's just like it's th- there's there is no gay agenda. It's just a matter of people are allowed to be themselves. Finally. People yeah. been gay since people been gay since the beginning of time. Totally. You know what I'm saying? People have been transgender since the beginning of time. They just didn't always have the access to the resources to be able to feel like they could be themselves. And it's just a matter of people who are just more and more uh the re- society is being more and more receptive to people um expressing their differences.
1: What do you think about this responsibility <clears throat> that now seems to come with this platform and this you know the people listening to you on a regular basis now do do you think about that and does it uh is it color like anything that you, you do on the show
0: Oh yeah we absolutely feel like we have a, a, a responsibility I just had a conversation about this with my homeboy Panama Jackson a very smart brothers who has a massive platform of his own and we were talking about how like or specifically I was talking about how if I'm gonna be if I'm going to keep 100 after Little Duval went on the Breakfast Club and made some, you know, transphobic comments. I was talking about how, like, I have a fear of fucking up, making a joke that because go- me and Alex, we love to talk about serious stuff, but at the same time, we like to mix up the being informative with being entertaining. So sometimes we might make some jokes that are just crass and just like left of center. But as, like I was telling him, I was like, I always have a mortal fear of saying, you know, because we live in a day and age of the can- of the canceled culture. It's like you fuck up and they immediately say, yo, you're canceled. We're not fucking with you no more. Have a mm-hmm. nice life. And it can just completely just derail your career. And it's like I was telling, you know, Panama, I was just like, yo, there's there's times when like I'm legit, like paranoid. I'm going to say something. And thankfully, this medium isn't live. I can always go back in and edit it. But yeah. I mean, there's been plenty of times when like well, I shouldn't say plenty of times, but there's been a few times where me and Alex will like say something in the show. And I'll be like, yo, you were wilding for saying that. I'm absolutely taking that out. We'll get killed. You know what I mean? We definitely feel like we have a responsibility just because we feel like we're so respected, especially when it comes to um, women. I feel like we can be a little bit more lenient when it comes to men. But, I mean, I think that women really feel like, okay, these are two guys that get it. So don't fuck it up because, you know, you have a responsibility to speak to other men about curtailing behavior and, you know, addressing certain situations that are, you know, decimating our community. So, yeah, we we definitely feel like we have a, um, a responsibility because, I mean, you know, we write an article. It goes viral. We, you know, mm-hmm. say something on the show. We have, you know, thousands of people that hear it. You know what I mean? So um, I wouldn't probably feel like I had that responsibility if like nobody was listening to our show. But I mean, to know that every week thousands of people tune into what it is that we have to say, it's like, OK, like. I have to make sure that I stay on point. How much of that do
1: you credit to your upbringing? That's a good ass question.
0: Um, I guess it's just—I guess it is kind of a byproduct of my experiences. Whether it's you know the discipline that I accrued and learned to implement being in the military, whether it's the career that I had as a, so, as a social worker, as far as having gaining a better understanding of. And seeing certain elements of society that most people aren't exposed to, whether it's being a writer and, you know, kind of spending a lot of time in my imagination and kind of looking at the world differently. I mean, I definitely think that between the three of those things and between moving um, mm-hmm. coast to coast, I definitely think all of those have kind of influenced my, my perspective on the show.
1: Who in your family is the most surprised at where you have ended up?
0: I don't think any of them are. I mean, I've always kind of been, I've always been. You know how? Um, well, no, I don't. That sounds like bragging, but Humble some bragging. people are just like, no. But I mean, it's just like some people. I'm sure there's people you've encountered in your life where you just look at them and you just be like, that guy's got something. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know what he's gonna do with it, but he has something. And people have always looked at me like, okay, Jay is gonna want be the one that's gonna figure something out, and he's gonna go somewhere in his life. So I don't think they're surprised at all in what I've set out to do because I always. I go balls out. I'm extremely ambitious. I mean, even now and um laying the groundwork for starting my own, um, you know, the multimedia company and some other things that I have in the in the pipeline that I almost revealed, but I can't yet. Um, but no, nah, it's just like I've always kind of worked, worked harder than everybody else. I've never been the person that works smarter and I'm trying to work at being working smarter, but I've always been the person that just outworked everybody and was just Looked at life differently and just kind of had a different perspective. So I don't think my family is surprised at all at where I've been,
1: or where I am now. Yeah, it seems like the people that are closest to you always are rooting for you, and they know that you're going to have to work out your life through the through the Walgreens jobs and through the, the low paying jobs. And and I think they, but the important thing is that they believe in you all the way through.
0: Word, word. And and I think with me, it's I've always been somebody who who was never risk averse. Whether it was, okay, I'm in the military and I could just be safe and just have like these hundred thousand dollar jobs and just be set for the rest of my life. or I can just say, fuck that, throw caution to the wind and go be a social worker and make twenty five thousand dollars. Or the fact that I was like, okay, well, social work is getting kind of burned out. Let me go move to L.A. and be a writer, even though I don't know anybody within that space and making it happen. So, I mean, I've always kind of been. I've always had an irrational fear in myself and thankfully it's worked out for me so far. Hopefully I don't run out of luck anytime soon. But, yeah, I just think that, you know, if you if you're passionate about things and you and you if you're passionate and curious and, and, and have a curiosity, I think they can prove fruitful if you're willing to put the work in. And for me, I've been very fortunate in that regard in that not only did I have an irrational confidence in myself, people had an irrational belief in me.
1: Hmm. That's is important yeah um what was it for the folk for listeners who aren't familiar with combat jack show what was it about that format that when you heard it it was something that um you were drawn to for me it was um because i mean the
0: format is pretty straightforward he bullshits for about five minutes and then he jumps into an interview but for me what stood out about the show was the level of um research and detail that he goes into in his interviews because i mean most most interviews people just like ask like super superficial questions or like, Oh, you're a rapper. Well, what do you think about your most recent, like, just lazy shit? You know what I'm saying? But like, yeah. I would listen to him and I'd be like, this guy really does his homework. And it's not just a matter of that. It's a matter of like, even outside of the questions he's asking, whenever he's bantering with the, with this interviewee, like he's throwing little things in there that like, you know that he did his home, that he did. His, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. if he's interviewing you, he'd be like, yeah, do you fuck with KRS and, and, and uh slick rick and you'd be like the hell like how did you know that you know what i mean even outside of the question yeah, yeah. so i was just always fascinated by the level of depth that he goes into for his interview so i mean he's still supposed to be coming on our show and i did a ridiculous amount of um research on him because i was my thing was that like i can't have him come on and then I give him a shitty interview, yeah, you know what I'm time. saying? So I was like, "You got to do your homework." And when when we touched base, when he was out here, he was like, "Yo, let's do it, you know, tomorrow." I'm out here for a few days, and I'm like, "Fuck that! I need to, <laughs> I need to do some research." So I did my research, and I'm ready to roll. So hopefully, we can make the schedules coordinate soon.
1: Yeah, he mentioned that on on mogul. No, no, he was on um the turnaround. That's uh, Jesse Thorne's podcast where he interviews other interviewer under, interviewers. He's interviewed Larry King yeah um jerry springer he had uh kitty couric and he interviewed uh combat check uh okay. reggie on there and he was talking about like yeah when i'm when i'm researching for a guest he's like like don't come near me like i'm just like i i need to get in the zone and i, I got like work to do so don't bother me <laughs> and yeah, he was that's real. serious man it's like i gotta i gotta know what i'm going into and he was just all about being prepared which is awesome
0: yeah yeah definitely
1: So, um, changing gears a little bit for a second, what do you think is the most misunderstood thing about you? Hmm.
0: I think people think that I'm way more social than I am. I think people look at me and they think that I'm like this cool guy that hangs out all the time when literally I don't do shit, but work. Like people think that I'm always out, that I'm hanging out, that I'm in the streets, that I have like all these friends and all these women and all these, like, I don't know where the hell they get this from. Or, you know, I'm always Mr. Party. And I'm like, literally I, I sleep in my apartment, but I'm always, almost always in my, we work office. Like I work like a maniac, I would say like 60, 70, maybe even 80 hours a week. Hmm. I mean, even outside of like in my writing gigs, uh, I devote anywhere from four to five hours a day, bare minimum into the podcast. So, um, all I do is work. And um, I think that that's definitely something that uh, became a detriment and became super unhealthy and took a tremendous toll. Because, I mean, my thing is just like when I commit to something, I'm all in yeah. and I don't really know how to half ass anything. So it's ended up taking a tremendous toll on my physical, emotional um, well-being. I had, you know, t- I literally just got my first cut haircut today. For the first haircut in like three months, like literally just because I just been so focused. I'm just like, why do I need to get my hair? like, why do I care? <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that that's definitely one of the things that's most uh misunderstood about me is that like I'm super social. I used to be in a past life, but all I do is work now. So I get like I get anxiety when people ask me about, oh, hey, what's a cool bar? I'm like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> Shit, I don't go outside. That's so what Yelp, that's what Yelp is for. Yeah, let's that's what, that's what say whichever got the highest stars is where you need to go, <laughs> go drink.
1: Well, it's clear. But I'm trying, the, the, I'll go the, ahead. The, no, it's just the clear. The common thread here is that you're just out hustling everyone, man. And, and I think at the end of the day, that's like the entrepreneurial mindset. And you know, really, those are the people that get shit done, right? The people that just are willing to work harder than the person who who's not.
0: That's that was that was my mindset whenever I moved out here. I was like, there's going to be people that are better writers than me or more talented than me and there's going to be people that work harder than me but nobody's going to be as talented as I am and work as hard as I am. So that was always my mindset whenever I came out here.
1: So, what's something you've changed your mind about recently?
0: I can't think of anything that I I mean, I changed my mind about getting my hair cut. I wasn't going to do it and I did it in part because I have um I have to be social tonight and um attend some industry shit, but primarily just because um I just not having my haircut was reflective of how I've been treating myself. And I was like, if anything, you should just cut your hair and be well-groomed just because you should feel happy and ecstatic and, you know, th- uh, feel good about yourself. Yeah. So I went from looking like a beast to looking like a, a presentable young man. So all I need to do is start eating and sleeping
1: regularly again. And I might, you know, uh, look like myself <laughs> one of these days. um, so what do you, uh, as we wrap up now, last couple minutes, um, what, what's got you excited about the show? I mean, you guys hit, you guys like knocked it out of the park on day one. And it's like when people hear that new podcasters, they must, they must get like so freaked out because like shit, 6,000 listens on, you know, first episode, like that doesn't happen. So, no. <laughs> and it set the stage for like, you know, the, the type of show you have and, and, you know, where you want to go from there? So I'm wondering if you have time, you know, I know you yeah. you're constantly firing on all cylinders but if you have time to think about like what are the the bigger plans about where you want to where you want to see it
0: definitely looking to i mean my biggest thing is just like i definitely am looking at just accruing more resources um i feel like as great as the show has done in a year that's just been with one person just busting their ass so what would it look like if two people busted their ass or three mm. people busted their ass or four people or if i had more resources or money so um, we're in um, talks with uh TuneIn to be doing some stuff um to be announced in the future. Shout out to Tracy and Kayla and everybody over there. And um just uh looking to lock in some some partnerships that have been discussed. Um definitely looking to do some more live events um this year. We have some announcements coming up soon, very soon actually. And just um, broadening our reach um, making more of a focus on our website making it more of a destination which is why i installed our brand spanking new eic um sin uh because i i want our website to just be like a hub of just black excellence and beauty and just because i mean websites are just so important nowadays yeah. and the podcast is doing great but i want I want to create like a destination. I want to have content that people wake up every day, like ESPN every single day. If you're a sports head, you take your ass to ESPN and you read articles and you read box score. That's what I want to do as far as just like content that pertains to our, our community. I want you to wake up every day, go to the extraordinary com, and just be like, okay, what's going on in my community. And that's what I'm really focusing on right now. And that's what we're in the stages of doing now, especially as, as far as incorporating more Stuff geared towards music, more stuff geared towards I'm wanting to expand upon the the an extraordinary impact features where we highlight people that are doing incredible things in their community, whether it's fighting sex trafficking or raising awareness um, around disabled community, whether it's, you know, raising money for education, just like people that are just doing dope shit. I just want to highlight them and give them a platform and just continue to grow and evolve and um, like I said, get some more resources poured into the podcast, some more money, hire some assistants and project managers and all this other stuff, and just really just flesh it out as a business.
1: Well, it seems like you're definitely headed down the right path. I think, um, yeah, I heard a couple of shows and you guys sound like you're having a lot of fun as well. <laughs> and that think, we are. <laughs> so uh-huh. I want to thank you for taking the time to come on, Jay. I really appreciate it. Given the fact that we've uh, known each other only about a week, I had a feeling this was going to uh-huh. be a, a fun interview
0: yes because tomorrow i'm not gonna like you no more so <laughs> game over
1: i'm on the seven day trial <laughs> uh,
0: yeah it's like netflix like now i get slapped with the 25 five dollar charge like <laughs> title or some shit
1: <clears throat> if you return the uh the netflix cd right seven days later right. all right brother thank you so much and uh where's the best place for folks to track you down online
0: People can find us at the dot com. You can find us on Facebook at the Extraordinary Negroes. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at the extra Negroes. And yeah, we're out here. We're everywhere. Um and you can also, uh, obviously listen to our podcast at the extraordinary Negroes. We're available on iTunes, Tune In. Definitely gotta plug them. ITunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, everywhere. So anywhere there's podcasts, we on there.
1: Very cool. Thanks again for taking the time and I'm wishing you nothing but amazing success with the uh, show. Thank you, Unum sir. Show. Thank you, sir. Thanks again to Jay. Pardon the excessive use <laughs> of several F-bombs. that I probably, I probably was saving them from all the past episodes where I didn't use them. But again, I just had a blast with him. He's such a real guy and I'm looking forward to just hang out more with him. I'm really excited that we've connected. And, it, and if you are meeting people that are, you're vibing with, And you have an opportunity to like have them on your show or just connect with them more, get to know more about them, then definitely do that because life is too short to not hang out with people that you're happy to, in in whose company um, you'd rather be and who you like being around. And that's what I wanna do. And that's what I wanna do with the podcast. And that's why I'm going to MapCon. Uh, this, this coming up, coming up Friday in Philadelphia. So we are a member of Podcastica. Head on over to Podcastica.com for the full slate of corn a cornucopia of podcasty tastiness. I think that's the tagline I keep forgetting. But anyway, you get the point. Full slate of shows there. Music by the impeccable Cedar and Soil at CedarSoil.com. Don't forget to support our sponsor, Podbean at Podbean.com slash podcast junkies and let me know if you do that and i would be happy to jump on a call with you and chat about your pet dog, your goldfish and maybe your podcast as well. So, the retention hashtag if you made it to this point, you are a superstar. It's going to be adverb j, a d v e r b j. J is a writer as you heard during the interview and his amazing twitter handle is death to adverbs. So that's great, right? Death to adverbs and then the hashtag is Ad- adverb j. And ours is, of course, podcast underscore junkies. So do that and show us your love for the podcast. And then if you are interested in learning some of the great tools we're using to launch the show, that we use to launch the show and that we use on a regular basis, head on over, head on over to podcastjunkies.com slash eight tools. And that's the number eight T O O L S at the end of podcastjunkies.com. And you get that immediately downloaded to your computer tune in next week we have a fantastic conversation with uh, someone who's new to podcasting but not new to storytelling his name is eric Truels. his podcast is called e-travels with e trules it's a fantastic show and you'll find out why when you tune in to next next week's episode if you aren't subscribed to the show shame on you hit st- actually stop now and go to your podcatcher of choice and make sure the subscribe button is clicked so you get this awesomeness delivered hand delivered to your phone your tablet um your roku your apple tv uh, <laughs> your sling i don't know if this all this is true but in case it is your your slingbox uh, whatever you're doing to consume content your uh, castro your pocket cast your shifty cast there's like so many but uh you get the point subscribe to the show You get the awesomeness, and then you don't miss any of these fantastical episodes. Thank you for all you do for podcasting. Thank you for all you do for this show, letting people know about it. The listenership is growing, and I have no doubt that I have you to thank. So I love you specifically, and I'll talk to you soon.